I think what he was trying to say was that I was bossy. Yeah, I think that's what he was trying to say. I think we ought to uh, dress Lance up in an elf costume and pick up the stuff. I think that would be kind of fun. Hey, thanks, uh, thanks to Kurt for letting me preach. I think this is the seventh or eighth Thanksgiving Sunday that I've... Uh, I didn't speak last year, uh, but this year um, again. And I don't always talk about Christmas, but I'm going to talk about Christmas. I'm going to talk about um, resetting Christmas. Let's see if I can do this. Isn't that nice? Look at that. Resetting the holidays, the biblical Christmas. May the peace and the hope of Christ's birth birth be with you now and in the days ahead. So Merry Christmas. Christmas. Yeah, there we go. I'm not going to belabor the point like Kurt does, okay? (laughs) Let's have it. So it's 110 decibels. Um, Justine last week when she preached, uh, when she taught, it was, it was, there was a piece in there that I had in my sermon about forgiveness, and you'll hear that again this morning. But her sermon, if you have not heard that, go back on the website and listen to it. It's one of the best, and Kurt said it was the best sermon he heard on forgiveness. It's at least one of the best I've ever heard, and it really touched me. So that's, uh, that's kind of the spirit of where we're going. In my 64 years of life, I love Christmas. You love Christmas? Yeah, some people do. Uh, most years... <laughs> Christmas provokes me to be a better person. The trappings, the camaraderie, the feeling tone, the gifts, the food, family time, connections, the music, well, sometimes the music, right? Don't you get tired of Christmas, Carol? Some people don't, I know. Uh, And the gifts. I, as Shakespeare said, there's the rub. Uh, One of the best gifts I received um, as a Christian was in 1979, my brother had been gone to Europe, and then he would travel to Israel, uh, several other places too, but he ended up in Israel on a kibbutz. And in that period of time, after a few months, when we would send letters to Paul, they came back stamped, officially, it said, in occupied territory. And my parents and the rest of the family, obviously very, very concerned about what was, what was going on with Paul, my younger brother. And just what is this? And we didn't hear from him. It's not like today where, you know, you have communications all over the place. I mean, we didn't hear from him for about two months. And my dad called me one night and he said, Greg, I think we really need to dedicate some prayer time to this because I don't know what's happened to your brother. Uh, and he's, my dad said, I did give him a ticket, uh, a, 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 you know, a, a ticket home if he needed it, about a year ago, but I don't know what's happened to him. And my dad, you know, he kind of started to break down, and my mom was very upset. So I spent a night in prayer. I don't mean the whole night, but I prayed through. Anybody know what I mean by prayed through? That I prayed to the point where I knew that I had been heard by God, and he was going to, he was going to work on it, and he was going to solve it. You ever been in that place where you don't have an answer? How many have been in that place? You don't have an answer, and you pray, and God answers your prayer. And I'm telling you this, that two weeks, three weeks went by, and the night before Christmas Eve, Paul came home. I will not go into the detail of all that, but it was miraculous how he got there. And he told us the story. And talk about a Christmas present. And I learned this, an answer from God resets our Christmas. We lived in that that miracle of what God did in Paul's life and getting him home, God reset that, that answer to prayer. I also learned this, that our renewed devotion to him also resets our Christmas. 
I can be fairly scroogely about it, too. Don't ask Maureen about that, okay? I can be fairly scroogely about Christmas. Because I'm also perplexed by Christmas. Certain things always seem to creep in. A lack of funds, which leads to overspending. <laughs> How about getting the right gift or getting a bad gift or giving the wrong gift? A bad Christmas or five or ten or fifteen in a row. Overeating. How about a spiritual balance? If there was ever a time for us to have a spiritual balance, shouldn't it be Christmas? And it's not. It's really not. Think of all of your schedules and stuff, our schedules. Um, how about the Christmas newsletter? I have never seen the need for one of these things. It's like home movies or slides or something. I know, I'm going to offend people that do it, but I gave up on that newsletter thing. Why do you make it three pages? I don't have time for three pages about how Susie lost her socks in the snow. I really don't. I don't really care about that. Can you keep it to one paragraph and one picture, you know, you and the dog and the kids, and that'd be great. But I never saw the need. How about Christmas cards? We gave up on Christmas cards a long time ago, didn't we? Because it's just too... Okay, I did. Okay, you may not have, but I did. It's just too hard to keep up. Sometimes, after I've done all kinds of things for others... For Christmas, really had them in mind and maybe not overspent, but got the right gift. And, you know, after it was over, I was patting myself on the back, breaking my arm, patting myself on the back. And somehow it still didn't happen like I thought Christmas was. It was supposed to be. It was miss missing something. There was something else that was missing from that celebration. What was it? And that still bothers me to this day. How about you and Christmas? How are you and Christmas doing this year? How are you and Christmas, how have you done in the past with Christmas? Here's a great perspective this morning from Charles Dickens. I have always thought of Christmas time as a good time, a kind, forgiving, charitable time. The only time I know of in the long calendar of the year when men and women seem by one consent to open their shut up hearts freely and to think of people above and below them as if they were really fellow passengers to the grave. Wow. And not another race of creatures bound on other journeys. Keep that in mind about fellow passengers to the grave. You know, use, pick up on that later. I'm advocating that we take action for a biblical Christmas. In this season of reset for this congregation, by God's help, I want to try to give us a frame for a biblical response to Christmas. I'm asking God for the kind of Christmas which reflects his message. And that message was in the form of his son, obviously Jesus. So that Jesus in my life, in our lives, sees the fulfillment in us. And by the way, how does he use us? You ever thought about that? That God takes this sinful person of who we are, but because of Jesus redeems us and we're able to speak and work and do things for him. That is amazing. That in itself is a present enough, don't you think? But I'm talking about resetting for a biblical Christmas. I'm talking about the kind of Christmas that still reflects giving and greetings, and especially the Spirit of the Lord, and also celebration. One month, exactly, today, before we celebrate Christmas Day, are our hearts ready to celebrate it the way we should in a biblical Christmas? I want to look at the presence, excuse me, the response of people to the birth of God's Son, Jesus, 
at the first Christmas so that it will make a difference in us and change us this Christmas. Look at the, I want to look at these things. The timing of God in sending Jesus. Herod's viewpoint. The response of Mary in her humble obedience. And then the response of the wise men. That's where we're headed this morning. Resetting to a biblical Christmas by looking at different examples. By the way, Scripture says these things happen for our example. And those are the examples we want to follow this morning. I'm going to ask Zach, there he is. Mr. Rogers, Mr. Rogers neighborhood right now. Oh, you're perfect, Zach, to do this. I love you. No, I'm not going to do that one. <laughs> Sorry, right. Kurt. Uh, Zach, Help if him. you lift up this body as well as Kurt and Julie and also another church, that would be great. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. We're grateful that we all get to, we get to show up together. We just pray, Father, for our pastor while he's away and spending time with family, that you would bless him and bless his time. Yes, Lord. We pray for the sermon today. Lord, give Greg your words. We ask, Father, by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would unravel the, the mysteries of your word in a way that we can spiritually reset what this is all about, what you have for us, what, what you want to reveal and the re revelations you have. So we ask for that in the mighty name of Jesus. And Lord, we, we want to pray corporately for all the churches that are flourishing and going under attack in yes, China, Lord. in Jesus' name, we pray for the miraculous yes, work Lord. that you have in what's going on yes, there, Lord. that you show up in a mighty way, yes, and God. everything that takes place, everything that is commissioned by you would be fulfilled in Thank your you timing, Jesus. in Jesus' name. Yes, Lord. Amen. Amen. Let's look at Galatians about the timing of Jesus coming. Galatians 4, 4 through 7 says this, but when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. That time goes back to after Adam and Eve in the garden about in Genesis 3, 15, where God promises Messiah, a savior. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father, my dear daddy. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. How is that possible, Lord? After all I have done to sin against you, you have taken me in because of your great grace in Jesus, because he gave his life. Wow. And since you are his child, God made you his heir. <laughs> but at the right time, when the time was right, God sent his son born of a woman, subject to the law. How is it possible that this was the right time in terms of what was going on in the world, especially with Herod ruling Judea and Bethlehem? But God had a big picture. He always does, doesn't he? We have a tendency to not see past our circumstances, but God always has a bigger picture. This is why it was the right time. The known Western trading and educational world, conquered by Alexander the Great 300 years before, now had Greek as its first language. And the Gospels and the New Testament would be written in Greek. And guess who carried 
those uh, scriptures, Roman soldiers who got saved, as well as missionaries, as well as the Apostle Paul, as well as the Apostles, they, they carried, and uh, since then, and since then, God knew exactly what, we, what he was doing in spreading the beautiful news, the good news of his son and of the church. Uh, Roman soldiers spreading the faith, that, that just seems contradictory to me. How about you? In Got Questions, it says this, the mystery religions of the time emphasized a savior God and required worshipers to offer bloody sacrifices thus making the gospel of Christ, which involved one ultimate sacrifice, believable to them. The Greeks also believed in the immortality of the soul. These two ideas of a savior um, God and, and a, a bloody sacrifice came together. Think of the apostle Paul when he was on Mars Hill in Acts 17 and was able to say to the Greeks, look, you have something that says to an unknown God. I mean, that's, that's great timing. That's great timing. One of the worst times, though, ever as well. I mean, God had a bigger picture, but this is one of the worst times as well. It's like giving up your child for adoption in North Korea. I mean, the timing, Lord, really. How about dropping them off in the ravages of a fourth world nation? Forget about third world nation. How about the or, or dropping them off in America in a terribly divisive time, like right now? One thing to think about during this time this time of the year, as well as the rest of our lives, that Christianity and the gospel of Jesus is neither left-wing nor right-wing, but it is revolutionary. And this was the reason that God sent his son at this time to be revolutionary, to be revolutionary, to bring together all in one the Savior with the sacrifice of his blood. That was God's timing. That's why he sent his son at that time. But you know, Lord... Your timing appears to be off a bit because Herod was the ruler of Jerusalem. This is, this is from uh, Matthew 2. Don't you love the Christmas story? I wish Mark and John would have written Christmas stories. We only have two of them. You know, one's in the Gospel of Matthew and the other one's in the Gospel of Luke. And this one's from Matthew 2. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men, that's also translated magi or king, Kings from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. Uh-oh. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. Why? Because when it came to politics and the kingship of Herod the Great, if Herod sneezed, Judea caught cold. Okay? If Herod was mad, there was going to be heck to pay. The life of Herod was less than amazing. Most theologians and most historians will agree that Jesus was born in about 4 BC. Here was the scenario in 4 BC. Herod the Great was coming to the end of a long career that was bloody and paranoid, even by the standards of Hellenistic monarchs. He ruled through tactics of mass terror and widespread surveillance. It was a foretaste of the modern-day totalitarian states. Herod had killed multiple members of his family, he was in the process of trying and executing his son for alleged treason. He systematically wiped out all male claimants from the old royal dynasty. Herod's growing paranoia and mental illness was a social scandal among other rulers. It was well known to any educated, 
member of the Jewish elite. Yeah, he built a temple. So what? He also executed mass numbers of people. He was a terrible guy. Don't forget, after the Magi had visited, he said, hey, bring back news so I can go worship him too. And he systematically murdered all the male children in Bethlehem under the age of two years old. This does not seem like a very good time for God to send his son. But what's my point in bringing this up? I'll tell you my point. The comparison is this. Like Herod, is Christmas just too much trouble for you? Especially with family or with other loved ones. Is there just too much baggage, too much hurt, too much to face at Christmas? Would you rather just go off somewhere else and let Christmas and the holiday season run its course without you because of all the implications that it brings? I know people like this. I know people like this. Did you lose someone this year? I did. I lost my brother last January. Not going to be Christmas the same without him. Um, I lost a nephew in April. Absolutely tragic and, and very, very quick. Christmas will not be the same without Chad. I lost a second mom just a, about a month ago. Anybody, ever, anybody else have a second mom? You have a second mom, third mom, fourth mom in your life? She's one of those second moms in my life. And you know, she was one of the ones that taught me about Christmas. And I would go over the last few years, I would go over after the Christmas, Christmas day during the holidays, and I would just sit and talk to her. She was older. She was elderly. And she really, you know, though she had family, you know, going over there was, was a real treat for me, and I think it was a real treat for her. Missing and grieving and remembering thanks anyway, I'd rather not have that to remember that person during the holidays. A friend of mine who I used to minister with in Bremerton, he was the youth pastor when I was the, uh, one of the pastors there on staff and uh, also the worship guy. His name was John Taylor. John and Debbie Taylor uh, were not just great youth pastors, but they also were great foster parents. I caught this the other day on Facebook. Uh, Debbie just died uh, a couple years ago of breast cancer. And John, I won't say he's been bitter, but man, he's not the same. And he posted this on Facebook, and I asked his permission to use it, and he said I could. This really, this really captures it. I struggle not to loathe the holidays. When it's really not the holidays in themselves, it's missing the smell of the sugar cookies baking in our house, pumpkin sheet cake and apple pies, the festiveness that you prepared during the holidays. Indeed, these things remind me that you are not here. That gives me pause and reminds me of all that you meant to me. I struggle not to loathe the holidays. How do we deal with that? You know people like this? God has a much bigger plan for you, more than you can imagine. 1 Corinthians 2, 9 and 10 says this, I has not seen, nor ear has heard, nor has entered into the heart of people those things that God has prepared for those who love him. And right now, the circumstances might be facing you, like walling you off. But God also says this in Jeremiah 29. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to give you a hope and to prosper you, to give you a future. See, God knows best, and right now it is absolutely so hurtful that trying to get out of the hurt, especially this time of the year, is like punching through a bag that has one layer after another. 
God's waiting and patiently like the good father that he is, and he's asking us to reach out to him. Ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock. I'm not trying to give you some scriptural prescription and walk away from the situation. I'm also saying that we as God's people need to be more sensitive at this time of the year when it comes to people like this who have a hard time with the holidays rather than just working through things ourselves and wondering what's staring us in the face. Because Scripture's real clear about helping one another. And if this time of the year is steeped in tradition and trappings and so forth, how much more important is, that, is it for us to reach out instead of just becoming inward about our approach? I have a question, man. This, is, this, is, this has been bothering me for a couple of days. When is it that the church is going to get to the point when it comes to helping others to ascend to servanthood like Jesus did? When are we going to get to the point about servanthood? And this is the time of the year when people so desperately need to be reached out to. Christian or not, by the way, this is a great time of the year. And if it was God, the time that God sent his son 2,000 and some years ago, what about now? The time is now, because I'll tell you what, beloved, the time is short. The time is short. Christmas is a great time. Don't be a holiday hater. You know holiday haters? Ah, how about <laughs> You know those people? I know some holiday haters. Don't be a holiday hater. Ask the Lord for the power to embrace his son, because Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. How about this? This holiday, God, how should I reach out? How should I prioritize the needs of others this Christmas and in the coming year? See, it's not just about Christmas. This whole thing is not just about Christmas. It's resetting Christmas, but guess what? A great Christmas resets your whole year, sometimes your whole life. That's the presence of Jesus, man. That's the presence of Jesus. How can I prioritize the needs of others this Christmas, this year? God, this Christmas, what do you want my priorities to be towards other people? Herod's response to the first Christmas was bloody and terrible, narcissistic, self-absorbing, because that's the kind of person he was. He had all kinds of stuff, man. He had every reason to say, hey, bring on the Messiah. Let's go. He didn't do it. It threatened his position. I want to compare his response to Mary's. Again, I just, I just love, I love the Christmas. I, I just steep myself in Christmas stories like this. I mean, in Scripture every year about this time. From Advent to Christmas, man, I steep myself in the Christmas stories about Jesus. Because it just, it, it does something to the inside of us, doesn't it? To know about how he came and why he came. Luke 1, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. 
Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I'm a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And so the baby to be born will be holy and he will be called the Son of God. For the word of God will never fail. Mary responded and said this, I love this. I'm the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. Man, I have such respect for Mary. I don't mean I worship her, I pray to her. I don't mean that. But Jack Hayford, in, in his book, um, The Mary Miracle, and I'm paraphrasing here, he said that spirit-filled Christians need to think more like Catholics and less like traditional Protestants. <laughs> I mean, that, yeah, that'll change your theology, won't it? I mean, Jack Hayford said, <laughs> okay, Uncle Jack. Um, sorry, Pastor Jack. I mean, wow. How is it that God chose Mary to be the mother of Jesus. How is that? From the Jesus Movie website, too often we mistake religious feelings with devotion. But real devotion is about obedience. It's about being faithful to God. Mary demonstrates the power of pure faith. Her obedience changed the course of history. Sometimes the mo most profound thing we can do with our lives is to wholeheartedly say, I'm the Lord's servant. I'm the Lord's servant. A selfless response. Messiah was to be the deliverer for Israel from their enemies. And boy, never was a truer word spoken because Rome's foot was on the neck of Israel. Messiah was Israel's one desire, more important than the temple, because he'd restore the temple, more important than the trappings of their supposed nation, more important than their leaders, because Messiah would lead them. Sin had brought about the division and then the destruction of their nation. But Messiah would set things right, just like David had done. And here was Mary, poor, next to nothing Mary, as opposed to Herod, who had everything. And her soon-to-be husband, Joseph, who was a direct descendant of David's family. Mary knew a divine moment when she saw one. She said yes, and it was that simple. Yeah, she did ask God a question. How is this going to happen? I'm a virgin. Good, good question. Very relevant, don't you think? I mean, when people say, don't question God. I don't know. I question God a lot. How about you? I don't think it threatens him. I don't think he goes, oh, I don't know. You know? <laughs> oh, myself, what will I do? I mean, you know, I, I, I don't see God doing that. And Mary asked the question. I can almost hear Gabriel saying, don't worry about it, okay? He's got it covered. Here's what's going to happen. It's going to overshadow you. He's going to be holy, and you'll be okay. And she said, let it be done to me. I'm the Lord's servant. May everything that you said about me come true. She said yes, and it was that simple. Exactly one month before Christmas, today, my question for us is, is there something that God has asked of you, given you to do, that seems simple and direct, but you've been putting it off? It's time to say yes, instead of, well, thanks, God. Uh, I, I'll have plenty of time to do that. I'll get to it later. I think it's time to think about another chapter in God's will. I think it's time for us, when we talk about resetting, especially at Christmas, asking about God, sorry, asking God about our lives. Is it time to begin thinking about a process to quit your job and going into full-time ministry? Hey, look, the, the missionaries from this place and other places, but especially from this place, they had other things doing, going and doing in their lives, 
And they said, how God's calling me. How do I go about the process of beginning this? Wow. How about your job right now? Do you see it as ministry? Selah. Well, see, Greg, I have my job over here, and then I have my home over here, and then I have my playtime over here, and I got my entertainment over here, and, and we compartmentalize. You know your job is ministry? Well, I can't talk about Jesus. Hey, neither can I. I can't talk about him. But guess what? I'm going to be a channel. Guess what? I'm going to be an example. As well as it is up to me, I'm going to be an example of what it means to be a believer. And do I make mistakes? Absolutely. Man, you can't, oh, Lord, I, oh, man, I missed that opportunity, or I didn't do this, or I did do that. But see, we compartmentalize our lives too much instead of saying, this is the kingdom of God. What does he want from me? And I'm learning this every day still, that I have to say that everything is open to him, to open and honest before him whom we have to do. He sees it all, man. He doesn't see walls. He sees our lives as one thread, and it's supposed to be towards him. So let's begin to think about what we're doing in terms of it all needs to be ministry. Whether I'm at home with my family or at work or my entertainment, whatever it might be, it's ministry, all of it. It was going to happen that way for Mary with Jesus. Don't you know it? Time is now. Your opportunity to follow through and obey and see fulfillment is at hand. I believe that for many, and I've been praying about this inside of this message, I believe that for many, it's going to manifest itself. This newness, this resetting is going to manifest itself during the holiday season. But we can't keep putting things, I'll do this later, God, I promise. When I get time, I'll get, I'll, time's now. Time's now, what a better time to do it. There's no better time to do it than right now. Now's the acceptable time. You and I have been placed here in this world, at this particular place, for such a time as this. That's a scriptural reference in Esther, that Esther had taken the throne for such a time as this. And for you and I, don't brush it aside, beloved. Don't, do not brush it aside. For such a time as this. I, I think time's short. I do. I think our time here is short. Whether, we're, whether I'm talking about my life, in a number of years, or in terms of when Jesus shall return. You know, they didn't recognize him the first time, right? When he came, how about the next time? Are we ready? Are we ready? Before we finish with the wise men, their response, I'd like to illustrate an ultimate Christmas reset by showing you a clip from A Christmas Carol, the one with George C. Scott. In the Christmas Carol, in the beginning of this story, the beginning of this film, Scrooge has managed to uh, bah humbug uh, his nephew about coming over for Christmas, his, uh, his employee, Bob Cratchit, as well as the guys who are asking him for a charitable donation for the poor. He's blown these people off, but on Christmas Eve night, he gets ready for bed, and he's visited uh, by Jacob Marley. Oop. Where'd it go? Oh, there he is. He's visited by Jacob Marley, who's been gone for seven years. Jacob comes to talk to him about something. His reclamation. What do you want with me? 
Who are you? Ask me who I was. <laughs> You're particular for a ghost. Who are you then? In life, I was your partner, Jacob Marley. Can you sit down? I can. We'll do it then. You don't believe in me. I don't. What evidence would you have of my reality beyond that of your own senses? I don't know. Why do you doubt your senses? Because a little thing affects them, a slight disorder of the stomach. You might be a bit of bad beef, a blot of mustard, a fragment of an underdone potato. <laughs> More of gravy than of grave about you, whatever you are. Humbug, I tell you, humbug. Mercy. Dreadful apparition. Why do you trouble me? Man of the worldly mind, do you believe in me or not? I do, I must. But why do spirits walk the earth? Why do you come to me? It is required of every man that the spirit within him should walk abroad among his fellow men and travel far and wide. And if that spirit goes not forth in life, it is condemned to do so after death. It is doomed to wander through the world and witness what it cannot share, but might have shared, and turn to happiness. <laughs> Chained. Tell me why. I wear the chain I forged in life. I made it link by link and yard by yard. Is its pattern strange to you? Or would you know the weight and length of the strong coil you bear yourself? It was as full, as heavy, and as long as this seven Christmas Eves ago, you have labored on it since. It is a ponderous chain. I see no chain. Mine were invisible until the day of my death. As yours shall be. Tell me more. Speak comfort to me. I have none to give. My spirit never walked beyond our counting house. In life, my spirit never roved beyond the narrow limits of our money-changing hole. No doubt of that. You, you always were a good man of business. Business? Mankind was my business. The common welfare was my business. Charity, mercy, forbearance, and benevolence were all my business. The dealings of my trade were but a drop of water in the comprehensive ocean of my business. I'm sorry for you, Dick. Is there anything I can do for you? For me? Nay, it is too late. But I have come for your sake, Ebenezer. Have you? Well, you always were a good friend.
business. Mankind was my business. And this is the way it should read. Not should, but this is the way it would read in modern English. Business, mankind should have been my business. The common welfare should have been my business. Charity, mercy, forbearance, benevolence were all my business. You know, really and truly, this is what God is about in buying us back. Mankind who had failed him. Mankind that had torn themselves away. We have torn ourselves away from him. That's his business. And he shows us common welfare, charity, mercy, forbearance, benevolence, all of those things. And he's not just come for our reset. He's come for our redemption. What a great earthly way to tell a spiritual story. That story is as relevant today. If you've never seen The Man Who Invented Christmas and how Dickens came about to write that story, it involves three points that I'm going to make in the, in the last part here. Three points in the last part. Guys, can you make sure that the film doesn't come back up because i got to go backwards on this. That would be great. Um, hello. After this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. When they opened, they, then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When it came time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. <laughs> Good thing. <laughs> their lives may have been in danger. Who knows that maybe Herod had spies out watching them. I want to talk about three things here that the wise men opened up. One was gold, and that was significant of kingship as they opened it before Jesus. How is our relationship with money? There's a good question. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. Yikes. Jesus talked more about money, did you know that? Than he did about heaven or hell? Why is that? I'll tell you why. Money speaks the hard language of real life. Lord, this holiday season, what should I do or not do with my treasures so that I can honor you first. Maybe it's time to give our missionaries a huge, large gift monetarily and not worry about getting gifts. I'm not saying that you, know, that you should drop out of your family or anything like that. I just mean maybe it's time to rethink that as far as a reset. I challenge us to empty our pockets, our treasures, our purses, our wallets with their treasure and put it into a Salvation Army kettle. I do this at least once every holiday season. Why? Because what, number one, a Salvation Army does exactly what they say with that money. 82% of what you give goes to their missions stuff. Feeding people, homeless folks, uh, helping families stay together. 82% uh, goes to real life stuff. 85% with World Vision, did you know that? Maybe it's time to do something else with our money this Christmas. Sorry, you're not getting there. 
Um, well, that's not where I'm going. Okay, let me keep going. Myrrh. Well, let's talk about frankincense first. Frankincense was, uh, was uh, incense that was uh, lit to worship God. So their second, their second gift was frankincense. It was used for the worship of God. And how is your relationship with God? How is the incense of your life being given off right now to God? There's a, does there need to be a change in your intimacy with God? You know, it can be just five minutes, ten minutes more a day. Maybe you're not even having a quiet time now, meaning the you know, Bible and, and, and prayer time. Start with five minutes. I remember before I was a Christian, I asked the Lord, there was something going on in my life, I had a crisis, man. And I said, God, if you do this, if you'll solve this for me, I will read your word five minutes. And now, I know that God does not make deals with people. But he, I thought that he came through for me, and he did. And I started to read the Bible five minutes a night, and then 10 minutes a night, and then 20 minutes a night. And sometimes it was an hour. And sometimes I would talk with my friends and argue with my friends about the Bible. Wow, and when I became a Christian, I had some sort of semblance of biblical knowledge. And see, just that five or 10 minutes more with God or with God will help change your life will help reset not just this holiday, but also the year. How about myrrh? Remember that, that phrase, fellow travelers on the way to the grave? Myrrh is an embalming fluid, obviously speaking to Jesus' death. But my application here is, how is it with our relationship with others? Is there someone you need to forgive? Man, I'm telling you, Justine's message last week about forgiveness and that one person in her life that she made that relationship right with. That was so good. Do you know that uh, my best friend since, since elementary school, that we had a 20-year lapse of relationship because of a misunderstanding about a circumstance. That kept us away from each other for almost 20 years. Who do you need to write to? Who do you need to forgive? Who needs to forgive you? It's so cool. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount said this. If you stand with your offering and you're ready to give your offering and you remember that someone has something against you, go and make it right. And what a great time of the year for us to go and make it right. I can't tell you the times that I have dedicated stuff like this to God about unforgiveness and how he has solved and unpacked it because I asked him. I didn't know how it was going to work. There's no way this is going to work, but God, I forgive this person. Let me show them somehow tangibly, and they show up. Now what? See, if they showed up without me forgiving them, then what it would, what it would be like would be terrible. Again, when are we going to ascend to the throne of servanthood when it comes to helping and understanding and especially forgiving others. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. I want to seal this time this morning with prayer, with communion, and with full-fledged worship, not worship as an afterthought. I'm not saying that that's the way it is, but sometimes it has a tendency to be that way, but towards the end that we just really worship. In resetting the holidays, I'm going to reflect on what the, what the wise men brought, their treasures. How about your gold? You know, take your hand right now and say, Lord, there's just one area 
that I'm, I'm troubled about my finances. Lord, how I'm spending, how I'm not spending, what my priorities are with my money. And Lord, my money is reflective of my life. So God, would you help me with this one area? How about with your relationship with him, frankincense? What's one area that you're asking him to reset in your intimate relationship with him? Lord, whether it's um, time in your word, thinking about your word, obeying your word, having time to pray about your word in my life and the life of others, Lord, would you help me with this area? Would you show me? The third one being myrrh. Lord, would you help me in one area, in this, just this one area? You know, I'm not asking you, church, to, to come up with more than one. Maybe it's just one overall. But Lord, in this area with relationships, God, would you help me? Because Lord, I don't understand this. It might be your kids. It might be a good friend. It might be somebody who's wayward. But Father, I want to make it right. Because your word says, as far as it's up to me to be at peace with all men. So Lord, help me to drop my pretenses and help me to drop my selfishness. Not in just the area with others, but Lord, but also my area with, with, with you and my relationship with you and my relationship with money. Lord, I feel like some of the, just like Marley said, that it's a ponderous chain. And it's not going to be revealed to me until I get old, until, until I die. And Lord, I want, I want my accounts with you, with money, with others, and with you to be short and open. And Lord, to be able to lift my hands openly and to have my head and my heart clear. Not just as Christmas, God. Lord, I offer that to you. It's not really a present, Father, but I offer it up to you. Lord, in exchange for your grace and your long-suffering and your forgiveness and your understanding because of what Jesus did. Lord, that's the kind of reset we're asking for. And more basic, have you taken Jesus as your Savior? Maybe you don't know him this morning, or maybe you're far away from him. Maybe you don't know him. Maybe he's, you've been far away for a while. Hey, come on back. He loves you. He's not lost his affection for you. Come back to him today. Recommit your life to him today. Commit your life to him. There's no better time than Christmas, man. Really and truly, there's no better time to offer your heart as that present to God and for him to put a new heart inside of you as his present to you. Take the 